Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Leave Report. This is Clark here. Hello, everybody. So, James, this is uh, this is where we are. What do you think? <laughs> it's the same thing. Now, how long we've we been doing this show, Jonas? We've been doing this show. You know when we started this show? Do you remember? The I think it was the year of it was the a first. Yeah, it was 2012, and you had that studio space we could use downtown. And we had no idea what we were doing. So that's, you know, it's it's almost nine years ago. And in that time, we have recorded many, many, many more podcasts like this than we have, <laughs> you know, happy, positive podcasts. You know, I, I was saying to you, what's, what's the biggest win that you've covered before the game? Uh, we were at the game last night. What's the biggest win you've ever covered in this job? You've covered this team. What was your first year? 07 or something like that? Covered, yeah, something like that. You've covered this team like 15 years. Like, what's the biggest win you've, you know, it's just amazing. It's amazing that we haven't covered them win one big game. And, you know, uh, probably the biggest win they had was maybe 2013 when they sent it to game seven. Like, no one expected them to to get to game seven in that series. And they battled back and they won game five and six and, and sent it to seven. Yeah, I mean, maybe one of those Washington games or, yeah, I mean, one some of the good Boston games. games. That Washington series was a lot of fun given the no expectations and they were kids. And, how you know, that was only four years ago, Jonas. How things change, you know? Pro sports, it, it, it marches along pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why you really um, – as much as like sometimes it, it feels like hyperbole to say like every season it's championship or bust, but – it is like it, it goes by like you're you're saying really fast. Like Matthews and Neilander have three more seasons left on their contract. Like it's not there's the runway isn't as long as as you think sometimes. And man, I just did not see this coming. I, I even like I told you yesterday, I thought that they would win and this would be part of like that story you talk about with the team where like they just need to get over that one hurdle and they make it really tough on themselves. And then they get over it, and then things are fine. And obviously, things are not fine. No, I mean, I started to have some doubts in Game 5, and then Game 6, I stopped believing. So, um, it's it's pretty amazing. You know, I think that Montreal adjusted some things, and the Leafs did not, and... I mean, we got we have so much to talk about. I don't. Do you have Do you have like a schedule laid out? I mean, there's lots of different things I'd like to hit on. You know what? Maybe I'll. I wouldn't call it a rant, but maybe I'll just say a couple of things at the beginning. You know, in hindsight, I think that we probably gave management too much leeway this season. I think in in our coverage, and you know, we we weren't. I don't think skeptical enough of of the season that they had. Um, I don't think I, I don't speak for me. I do not feel that way about myself. What do you think we were, weren't skeptical? I was skeptical of their trade deadline. No, um, but I mean, even before that, 
you know. Like, I didn't think they should sign Wayne Simmons. Like, I was fine with Thornton. Brody was a hit. Like, what did they do that was so... The thing that, that I think is egregious is they relied too much on older players, which I believe I was critical of, or skeptical of is, is probably the right way to put it. But, like, what do you want them to do when, like, their two best players do not have a good series? Like, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I, I, so, what what it, do you think, like, we weren't critical enough of? They, they just needed a little bit more. They either needed the, their two best players to be a little bit better or they needed yes. more from the rest of the lineup, and they didn't get either thing. They're in their win-now window, right? And yep. you look at the way that they played. What were their chances of winning right now in this year? Uh, I, I wouldn't have picked them against any of the top teams. Like I think Tampa's a lot better. I think Colorado's a lot better. I think Vegas is a lot better. So, so shouldn't we then be a little bit more critical of the process then? Like, isn't the goal for them to be able to beat those teams? Yeah, I I just don't like. So, what should they have done differently? Tried to make their team as good as those those teams. But that's that's general. Like, you have to be specific. It's like saying the coach should be fired without saying, okay, well, who are you going to replace him with? So, like, what do you think? Like, they they address their blue line. They got TJ Brody, who is maybe their best player. I just in think the we should raise the bar a little bit in terms of expectations. For I mean, well, that's why like you can start questioning whether it's it's going to be the right decision or whether they should keep their core intact like that's something that they have done this is going to go back to you remember those years when they were the team was mismanaged and i mean we're gonna i think i just think there's going to be a lot more skepticism over every decision that they make well you wrote in your column after game seven that you don't think that they can run it back um let me ask you to like elaborate on that what do you what does that mean to you i don't think they i mean i think that there's going to be what does that mean? I think the roster is so going to look significantly different. I think there's going to be different staff brought in. I know I, I could see different management staff. Not, not. I, I don't mean Kyle Dubas. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot that I think we could see change here. I'd be very surprised if the roster looks the same. I'd be very. But surprised. But the roster is not going to look the same regardless because they have a lot of U- UFAs. Yeah, but I don't. I don't mean like a bunch of fourth line guys that made eight hundred grand. Like, okay, so you're talking about what I wrote about, which is potentially trading one of their big players. Well, now maybe that's not the the core four guys. Maybe that's Riley. Maybe that's they need decisions, Jonas. They need another goalie. They yep. need a decision on Hyman. They need, in yep. my opinion, they need a decision on Riley. Walking him to UFA in 2022 is not acceptable. It's not not acceptable because you can trade him for an asset or you can decide he's part of the team and try and get him signed to a contract. You got to make a decision on him. That's, I'm not sure I agree with that, but okay. You, yeah. you think you can walk him. You think this team's going to get better by walking their best defenseman to UFA and letting him leave for nothing in 2022. How, how are they like, how's the roster get better if they do that? Yeah, but so so the, the choices you're giving me are I should definitely sign him when I'm not sure I want to sign him or I should trade him for some imaginary something that I don't know what it is. And and how is there how are they getting better? Like are they getting a better defenseman for Morgan Riley? Like is 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 some team out there willing to take one year of Riley and maybe extend him and give you back a better well, defenseman? I mean, there's been lots of trades like that around the league. I mean, there've been lots of Which, players traded with one year left on their deal and then they sign an extension to where they go and the team that traded the player gets an asset back for them. You know, that's Right, like one that comes to mind for me, I believe what what did Justin Falk get traded for? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good that's a good one. 
Uh, but what did what did St. Louis or not St. Louis? What did Carolina get back? I P- can't Pacioretty remember. got traded towards the end of his deal and signed a long extension with with Las Vegas. I'm a little more dubious on that. And the other thing is, like, I'm just saying you he, have to. They have to be more purposeful in their decisions. Yeah, they have to explore everything. Like nothing can be off There's the table. There's no reason, Jonas, that they have to wait to talk, think about an extension with Riley. I think they need to figure out what that number looks like and decide if that makes sense or not. Because if you just sit on the fence and you don't force yourself to make a decision, you're hurting the viability of your team. As you said with Matt, Matthews and Nylander, well, I don't see how you're not hurting your viability with the team. Well, because you may decide one Morgan Riley is is better to help your team contend for a cup next year than than not. Um, just to, you're right about the Pacioretty trade. So Montreal traded Pacioretty for a second round pick. Was it Tatar? Nick Suzuki and Thomas Tatar. That was a good trade for Montreal. It's a good trade. Although you know, Pacioretty is still really good. So that's the kind of trade that I would want them to make. Okay. Uh, Drew Ann was another one. They traded him. I mean, he was RFA, but a little bit different. But the, for Sergachev, yeah. But Dougie that's Hamilton got traded to Carolina. How many years did he have left on his deal? You that know, was for Noah Hannafin. That's an okay one. That That's the kind of thing that they need to look at. They either need to, if you trade for a lesser player with Riley, you need to free up some more cap space, which is hard to do because he only makes $5 million. I just think that they, that's just one of the the things that's on the table for them. I'm not saying that that's the main one, but that's something they got to yep. look at and think about. Sure. And then you got to look at the core. You got to look, yeah. you have to look at the core. Well, all right, let's just, let's just get into that. Um, I started to wonder after I wrote my story about the the setup of the team paying four guys as much as they are paid, whether that works or whether it's it's going to be something else that they just decide like th- there's something rotten here or something that doesn't work and that it might not even have to do with whether it works to build a team like this and, and maybe... They just decide, like, we need to do something because... I, I actually think, Jonas, it's a, a little bit of both. You know, I, yeah, I think that's that, probably I right. I think that those factors combine together. It's really hard. It's really, really... like the So, I've, I've been all in on this approach. Like, I really think it makes sense. I believe in stars, but stars have to be stars for it to work. Otherwise, and, and you're very, very, very vulnerable, like to injury, to guys struggling. You, It just leaves you very little room for error is kind of the lesson I've learned from this. It's felt what like you, that in the think past. About like, that? Remember when Matthews has had injuries and been out of the lineup? It's like, man, like when you're missing an $11 million player, like you, your team is very ordinary. Yeah. Although they survived it pretty good in a handful of games this year. The other thing I would say too, a lot of people are, are really – going after Kyle Dubas today uh, for the con- the way the roster's construction constructed, they thought the salary cap would be 88, 89, and 89 million yeah. right now. And mm-hmm. that's just something that's, that's a world factor. That's, but I think in light of that, you have to adjust your approach. You know, if you felt comfortable with Matthews and Marner and Tavares all making the money and, and Nylander to a much lesser extent, all making the money they are making, uh, under an 88 or a $90 million cap when you sign those deals at this point, when they're, you know, three or four years into the contracts, because that's what they thought yeah. was going to happen. Do you, how do you feel about those numbers? There's, there's just, there wasn't enough left on the roster for everything else. Like it's, there's, the, they, there's, there's no room, right? Like you, you have to mass, you have to master everything else basically. Right. They've tried for multiple years now, what, three years to, to fit little, the little Jenga pieces 
or, yeah. or what's like what's the to like no put, that's I like that put little Tetris except yeah Tetris is better because Jenga you pull the piece out so that doesn't make any yeah. sense um, and then the tower collapses and then my, that my metaphor is not working yeah Tetris like so so they've got these little tiny holes or like Doctor Mario or something like they got these little holes and they need to like fit it's like okay we got seven hundred grand for like our bottom seven forwards and okay. Or like their backup, like look at the backup goalie mistakes that they've made, mm-hmm. and they, and you you take away these little bits here and there and here and there, yeah, and it adds up. It it, yeah, and that's why like the Nick Felino trade is really difficult because that's that's like you had you'd written all these these good stories kind of informing their cap situation, and I remember one you wrote early in the season or maybe even before the season that if they did this right they would have space to add someone and add someone significant. And so that's like kind of not your trump card, but like that's like a little sneaky ace up your sleeve. And if you hit on it, great. Like that's that's how you can kind of master some of this margin work we're talking about. But if you miss, like you're, you've, you've, you've spoiled an opportunity to give yourself an extra bit of juice. And... It, it it just felt risky at the time. Like Nick Foligno's thirty three, he's declining. It was just hard to imagine that he was going to be able to give them enough with some of those like intangible kind of stuff to be more valuable than Taylor Hall. And like, I mean, well, even let's just take Taylor Hall out of the equation. Like Nick Foligno gave them nothing, and that trade was a complete waste of time. It was you know you lost your first round pick. I think that probably the frustrating thing if you're a Leafs fan is, I mean, you lost a first-round pick for the bad Marlowe signing, and now you lost a first-round pick and two fourth-round picks for Nick Foligno, who did who gave you absolutely nothing. Yeah. He seems like a great guy. The other thing I, I think is frustrating about the Foligno thing is the, the reason they didn't have the depth on the roster, in part, was they brought in all these leadership guys. Then you need mm-hmm. another one at the trade deadline? You need an, yes. You need another? And, and, and then you need... You need Riley Nash because no no one else can play defense at center. And then you need Ben Hutton because you don't trust your depth on defense. And then you need, you know, a fourth goalie because you can't trust your third goalie. I don't know. I felt at the trade deadline that they were overcompensating for what happened last year um, by just going too hard on that. And they'd kind of like, I, I thought you made a good point in your story that they've kind of forgot who they are a little bit. Like, well, you know what it looks like to me? I, and I don't know this. No one in that, in the Leafs organization is going to put their hand up and say, I, I did this. This was my decision. Um, but it looks like to me, there's different voices that want different things, you know, and I'm speculating, but you know, I think that probably Shanahan pushed for more experience and leadership. And I think that that's, that's good. I think that that's positive to a point. And you know, as I point out at the top of the story, Getting Jake Muzzin and getting Jason Spezza has been a huge positive for this team. Those guys have those guys have been great. They've played up to their contracts. They've become leaders on the team. But do you re- do you need like five more guys, six more guys? No, you can have you can have two of them who who maybe can't contribute that much on the ice, but you can't have four or five. And the other or thing four too, or whatever. It sorry is. if I'm talking too much. The other thing too is like you can't be afraid. Like when they sign Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons, it's like okay, this is this is fine. If they don't perform, they're not making a lot of money. You can't be afraid to, to sit those guys. Like they, they, they played poorly and they, they were in the lineup every single night. You're in game seven. They have done fuck all and they're still playing. To be fair, like who would you play instead? I don't know. Somebody who like, <laughs> somebody who has a pulse, man. Like I, I don't, like they didn't, 
it's just it, it's it's more like we can get into Sheldon Keefe in a bit, but some of the adjustments like that did not there weren't what enough adjustments. Like, well, yeah. I mean, like that that's 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 a coach's job in a playoff series is to kind of steer things when they get rough and, and he struggled with that. Um there's the power play, there's some of the, the lineup decisions, there's there's Rasmus Sandin. I I don't I didn't love the way that was handled. Um, but like, man, like it's really hard to win when you're, your two best guys who just had maybe the two greatest seasons by Leafs ever, like they just increasingly became different players. Like and, yeah. after game five, they really looked tight and they, they didn't look like they had much They looked tired energy. too, man. They like, looked tired. Yeah. And that's something you can come back to with Sheldon Keefe. Where and, were they? and like Mike, Mike Babcock took a lot of shit for, for not playing those guys more. And you could argue they should have played a little bit more, but maybe 22 and a half minutes for Mitch Marner during a condensed regular season is too much. And maybe they'll run out of juice. I've been talking to people around the organization and, it's it's fair to say that that the that players were feeling the condensed schedule and that it was it was affecting their ability. This is not Marner or Matthews complaining about that, but just like you know other Leafs players, it was it was hard. It was a hard season in terms of the the demands of the schedule. Where did um, among forwards in the NHL, where did Marner and Matthews rank? Wasn't Marner number one? Among Marner was forwards? Two, two, I believe, Here, behind McDavid. And Matthews is what? I'm bringing it up right now. Marner was number one, Jonas. Oh, was he? During mm-hmm. the season, he played 22, 26. Yeah. Wow. He, and he's like pretty significantly. like he's, he's like almost half a minute ahead of Connor McDavid. And Matthews was number five. Mm-hmm. They probably played too much, especially with Matthews being hurt. Well, they played playing Matthews a month while he was hurt. Threw that back to back in the middle of the playoffs, and it's like Jesus. Like, I know they had some time off before the playoffs started, but they just—I don't know—they just looked like they didn't have it. And I, part of that too, you know, I had some people that were watching the game around the league were texting me last night during the game, and they said that uh, you said you were going to talk about the coach, but like that that they didn't look like they adjusted. You know, it's. There, there were some things tactically that Montreal was doing that was making it extremely difficult on on the Leafs players, and and that can make you look slow, and that can make you look confused, and it can make you look bad if you don't if you don't have the right game plan to counteract what Montreal's doing, it can make you look pretty bad. They had a hard time getting through the neutral zone and getting. Well, I was pointing out going. to you, we were up in the box, and it's like, look at like, I don't know if this is the right time to discuss it, but like, essentially, um, Sheldon Keefe's approach is like he he wants you know kind of like the possession, he wants the players to like move as a unit, he wants them to like make passes moving up the ice. Um, but what they were, they were allowing Montreal to get set up in the neutral zone again and again, and they had, they were lining five guys, right? Not even, I mean, in the neutral zone, but like really close to their own blue line. Like they were, it was, it was, it reminded me of like Germany in the Olympics or something like one of those really conservative teams. It was almost like a soccer style. I remember you and I, after it was it during game three or game four, we were critical of Ducharme and, and kind of. Yeah, his performance, the safe approach. I yeah, mean, he did a good job in the last three games. He adjusted. Well, let's come back to Keith because I want to stay on Matthews and Marner. Um, obviously, Marner seems to be taking the most heat for his series. I, I I understand it. He's one of the highest paid players in the league. This this is part of the responsibility. Like he's paid to produce. It really felt like 
he was kind of feeling the pressure of the contract of being a hometown player of the expectations that he needs to produce. Like it just increasingly felt like that was weighing him down. And like, you got to remember he's, he just turned 24. Like I know we like to think of them as like these, like, I don't know, like superheroes. He's like just a kid. Like he's just, you know what I mean? Like, and he didn't perform well and increasingly looked like he was just out of sorts. He's not, he's an adult. He's, you know, was he? T- that's bordering 23, on 23, 24 years old. I mean, like he's 24. He just turned 24. Like that's, that's when pro athletes are in, in their peak. And when like, like how old's Nathan McKinnon? How old's, how old's Kale McCarr? I mean, you've been watching Colorado play. How old was? Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying he's a human man. Like he's not immune to to, well, to feeling. You know, some, some guys. Are, some guys, Jonas, are more human than others too. If that's the right way to put it, some guys yeah. are. Some people are impacted by it. Like you know, I couldn't do that. Have you ever? Had, have you ever had to try to perform? And you know, I used to play. I'm trying to think of a parallel. I used to play in a band, and I remember when you know we would play in a band, and there, there were some some shows you were in a crappy bar, and it's like 30 people, and it's like that's easy. But then there were some shows like we play like a, like a festival or whatever, and there'd be like 400, 500 people there. It's like, holy cow. Like, you know, all of a yeah. sudden it gets harder and harder. And like these guys are trying to do it, you know, and when you're in a band, you're, I guess when you're on a team, you're not out there by yourself either. But I can't imagine being on TV with 5 million people watching and, and you know, the building obviously wasn't full, but the, the pressure on those guys is unbelievable. And it's, some guys handle it better than others. And, and, the Leafs players didn't handle it well. No. Again. Again. Well, so let me ask you, how much How much would that factor into your decision with maybe moving someone like Marner, how the playoffs have gone? Now, obviously, this is three playoffs in a row where he has struggled. Um, he's gone 18 straight games without a goal in the playoffs. I actually don't. He's, listen, he's had a lot of chance. Like he had a lot of chances and didn't score. But like, that's 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 the job, right? Like you have to. Like he's paid to finish. You know what I mean? Or set up opportunities for others. I actually, I was thinking about this last night. I don't actually. I don't think it's that much different than uh, than the Kadri decision. You know, at mm. at some point, you know, you give someone chances, you see what they do, and if they show you, what, what's that? What's that saying? You know. Fool me once. Yeah, like, you know, if someone shows you who they are once, you know, maybe it's it's chance, but if they show you who they are three times, that's who they are. Well, and I recall that you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I recall at some point along the way, Brendan Shanahan mentioning that, like, how players perform in the playoffs means something. It tells you something, yeah. But then, like, th- these things can change. Like, Neander obviously had this reputation of, of not performing in the playoffs, earned i, I guess the question this playoff, though, he was better jonah said like if your job was resting on the line let, let's say you were i'm the gm president I'm or, the or gm of the, of the leaves okay and it's your dream job and you're making millions of dollars and, and you want to keep it you want to do whatever you can to keep that job and you just want the team to succeed are you going to bet your career and your livelihood on someone who you've seen hasn't been able to get it done multiple times are you that's going to be the question they're going to have to, you know, do they think it's going to change the next time? If the answer is no, that they don't think it's going to change next time, then then you have to make a change. I would explore everything is, is probably what I would say. I would look at 
every potential opportunity to move those guys and try to get better. But I would also be very, very, very careful because, I mean, you can feel it in the market today. Like there is emotion and frustration and anger and like you got, they have to do something and there is a risk of doing something and doing something wrong that sets you back badly and makes you worse. And, and we, like, we've seen that. We've seen that repeatedly. What I was talking about with the Riley thing, it's like you're saying, like, if you can't find it, like, if you can't find a trade, then no. But, you know, all I'm saying is they're going to need to explore a lot more avenues than they did last season. Last season, they went into the offseason. Let's add a defenseman like TJ Brody. Let, let's fill in around the edges again with some guys that we like. And we're going to run back. I mean, the teams wasn't that much different. It was like six different guys than, than last season. There's going to be more substantial change for next year. I feel pretty confident saying that. Well, they're going to lose someone to expansion, obviously. And that might be Alex Kerfoot, which leaves a pretty big hole at center. And that's like, to go back to the front office, that is something that they did not address adequately enough. I mean, the fact that they, and you can you can put this on Sheldon Keefe, you can put this on management, but the fact that when their second best center went out, they decided to use a 33-year-old winger in that spot. Who was playing on one leg. He says something, right? I think that they, they my understanding is last offseason they wanted to add a center and, and they looked at some of them and it, it comes back to they didn't have they didn't have a lot of money to throw around. Like, you know, I think that yeah. I I think they looked at like that Walmart and some of those some guys like that, but they really could have used some more options at center. This has been a problem for years now that they haven't had enough options at center. I mean, I guess since Kadri was traded. But like this is, again, this is the limitations when your team is built this way. Like you're very, you're vulnerable. Like one one of those guys goes out and you just don't have a lot. And that and this kind of comes back to the, the way the roster was built. Um, like it, we we do have to mention that they don't have John Tavares for basically the whole series. They don't have Jake Muzzin for the last couple games, but injuries happen. Like that's, they're not the first team to suffer injuries in the playoffs. And like lots of teams win with injured players, key injured players, and they just didn't have enough. It, it, it sounds from what I've heard, it sounds like the Muzzin one was partly related to like the condensed schedule and wear and tear. And well, it clearly looked to be a groin injury and that's the kind of thing that is wear and tear, right? It's one of the things too with the, you know, the team's going to get older. You know, they were. The team is old. Yeah. He's 32. Like he's not a, he's not. The Leafs are whatever, young. fifth or sixth oldest team in the league in the playoffs. So um, maybe even more with, with Felino in the lineup. And I didn't, I didn't add it all up. Um, you're going to have more injuries. So yeah. Don't you think though, Jonas, like coming into the, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we. I just think that my approach will be a little bit different. I think we're gonna, I'm going to be a lot more skeptical about everything that they do going forward here just because, I mean, I think that maybe um, in the fan base and, and in the media and maybe the bar just, like I said earlier, needs to be Colorado or, or Vegas or like Tampa. Like that, that should be the bar that we measure them against and – I mean, it's great you win Rocket Richard or you put up a lot of assists or whatever, but at the end of the day, if this team had no chance of beating those teams, what, what, what's the point? If you're an old team running through the remaining years of the contracts of your, your stars and you can't beat the best teams in the league, what you've put together isn't good enough. 
it's it's kind of crystallizing for me that that maybe it can't work. Maybe you can't do it like this. Like like let me ask you this: If you took Marner's ten point nine and turned that into maybe you turn it into another star who makes whatever. Or maybe you turn it into two or three players. You could return into a hell of a third line or, or like a second line. Like you could. Yeah. You, you could, I, I mean. You could have two guys making four million and then another two million goes on the third line or I, I don't know. The problem you know, though, like, James, the problem though is like you're, you would be trading the 24 year old and keeping the 31 year old, soon to be 31 year old who is declining. And that's like, that's a, that's a problem. And I don't know what you can do about that because. You know, John Tavares has a no movement clause. I mean, there are ways to to get around that, obviously, if he's amenable to that. But I can't imagine. Like, there's no people have been asking, like, why would he want out? Like this this team and this role and everything was his 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 dream. You know, like well, and I mean, why is someone trading for him at this point? So what? what it's a tough one. Marner for Eichel, Jonas. Why don't we do that? I would do that. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you have to explore. Now, I don't know if that's that's something Buffalo is into, but you have to talk about that kind of thing. I know well, Columbus always liked Marner, right? Like they were the team that, that was rumored with the offer sheet and everything. And Columbus is, is, is hurting right now. Yeah, you could get funky. You could, I mean, I don't know about trading for, I mean, I guess you could trade for Seth, Seth Jones. You could trade, try to trade for Seth Korinsky. Hmm. Everything's kind of got to be on the table. Like they've got to explore all isn't, these different isn't things. Isn't Warinsky friends with Matthews? Americans, American development. I believe. Yeah, I believe program. they played on that team together. Yeah. And then maybe that opens up. I'm, I'm worried. Like I don't want this show to get like all sports radio hot takey, but I don't. There's not really any way we can avoid these conversations. I mean, like I. It's it's to the those aren't even hot take conversations. I don't think. Like I think this is this is what they're going to. This have is to really do. what they're like, going to do. Like. I know the fan base is really frustrated and I don't, maybe they'll find this cathartic that we're talking about how to like pull apart this team that laid a big turd on the ice. All right. Well, uh, let's take a second and listen to Morgan Riley uh, in our quote of the week, um, talking about the disappointment and missing of expectations this season. You think it's my fault? Is that what you're saying? saying you're, is that what you're, you're saying? saying that you're def- is that what you're saying? Okay. Well, yeah, he was just screaming in my ear, so <laughs> I had to kind of start singing along with him. But uh, you know, he's a big fan of that song. He plays it in the car sometimes, so uh, you know, he, he definitely is a big Bon Jovi guy. It's been a lot of ups and downs, you know, a lot of emotions and a lot of great teammates that's passed by. Just being around this useful energy, that gets me excited. And they got a lot of it here, but uh, yeah, just soak it all in. You know, I feel like I'm, you know, young again. It's it's a good feeling to be. In. I need more emotion. We need more emotion from everybody. We need people to get angry. We need people to step up and, and be mad and take it personally. Uh, it was just okay. <laughs> I've been waiting a long time for that. <laughs> so you guys can package that someplace, okay? Obviously, it's as you know, as as hard as it gets. I think that the expectation within the room um, was higher, like you said. The goals are higher than what we achieved this year. It makes the disappointment uh, much worse. I mean, we feel it and we realize that, you know, we let an opportunity slip and that's, you know, not acceptable, you know, by our standards. It makes the loss a lot worse than anything we've had to deal with before. So that is Morgan Riley and he is right. This is a team that was supposed to contend for a cup, not get eliminated in the first round. And like, I remember Kyle Dubas, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, 
said like they need tangible progress. Like they need some sign that they're actually getting closer to their goals. So maybe let's, let's actually take a break and then talk a little bit about management and the coaching staff and, and what is to come there. We let's, let's break and get into that. Yeah. I should say, well, I can, I can, I can mention this on the other side, but you know, the other thing we should talk about, and I know it's not like a super sexy thing, but it's a factor here is the ownership side of this. All right, James, uh, I'll let you take the floor. Um, just about the ownership and management. And so I mentioned this in my story. And then, uh, if you read Pierre Lebrun has a story up at the athletic right now, he gets into this more, uh, Pierre went more in detail into this than I did, which was smart. I probably should have done this, but I was writing at two in the morning and my brain was, was a mush pancake. Um, here's what Pierre wrote in his story. And I recommend everyone goes and, and reads it and, Make sure you sign up and subscribe to hate read about the team that, that, that keeps breaking your heart. Um, Pierre writes, uh, before I get into it, though, a thought of my own. I think what's going to be most interesting is how the MLSC board of directors react to the setback. My sense is the patient's status quo option is not going to be a welcome answer for ownership. Not when MLSC is doling out millions in July 1 bonuses to some of these players and still paying Mike Babcock $5.875 million through June 2023 to not coach. While it may be that staying patient and believing in the Leafs core and not overreacting is the route to go hockey-wise, I'm not sure the people in suits at MLSC are going to go for that business-wise. I don't know who's saying that to Pierre, but the reason I had it in my story is I'm hearing similar things. Well, so so what they're going to have to do if you're Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas is you're going to have to convince them that your vision is still the right one or mm. tell them that your vision is going to need is going to be changed and you're going to do something different. I think they're going to have to say that we're changing in this way and this is why and this is how it's still it's going to work. Do you think that they are the right people to continue leading the team? I think that their time may begin to start running out unless they have more answers is what I would say. I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone's getting let go right now. This talk of ownership and the board and all this, this is about them losing patience. It's not about them firing everybody. I don't think we're at that point yet. Well, next season would be Brendan Shanahan's eighth. Is that correct? Yeah. That's, that's not a short amount of time. It's a long time. And the team, let's be honest, like the team has, has grown considerably in terms of talent but you need results like it's nice that you have these these pieces and these attractive young players but doesn't unless like it actually translates into winning it's tough to sell so jonas like we've got time here i think we we have to get into some listener questions at some point and i think you probably have some other things on your list too but like, I, I think part of how we ended up here was kind of, it was kind of weird the way that we ended up here, like through the seven years, you know, like when Shanahan started, he didn't have experience as a, as a team executive that, that was, you know, I remember having initial skepticism. Like I, I had the chance, Brendan Shanahan came to the Global Mail's boardroom and we, we had a meeting with him for an hour and had a conversation and, you know, the skepticism was he didn't have a lot of experience. And then he built this front office that was kind of real Frankenstein with Mark Hunter and Kyle Dubas and eventually Lou Lamorello and, and Dave Nonis was there. And then they, they hire uh, Mike Babcock before they have the GM. And there would, it was really kind of like a lot of, a lot of parts thrown together in a lot of weird ways. And somehow through that all, they made 
some pretty good decisions. Like you're talking about, you know, the team got a lot better, but um, I don't know. I remember at the beginning, you know, I remember one of the questions I asked Brendan Shannon was, why are you keeping Randy Carlisle? Like it, it, it was, you know, when he started, it felt clear as day that he was not the right coach. And then they, you know, they, they completely nuked a whole, the whole next season, having him come in and coach again. And that was when, you know, he got fired in mid season. Like if they would have brought someone in new that year, they could have, to me, started to make some progress a little bit sooner. Um, but anyway, that's that's ancient history. Well, I would agree that I, I think they they need or they should get a little more time. I don't think it's time right now. I think they've done a lot of good things, but like a lot of things haven't worked. Like Mark Hunter's time, and he may dispute this, but they they don't have a lot coming, and they haven't gotten a ton from the draft aside from some of the top guys and the odd guy here and there. Like you look for next year, James, what, what is coming? Like maybe Nick Robertson, maybe Rasmus Sandin. What else? It's good. You bring up those drafts. I mean, I've gone back and talked to some people about, you know, the 15 and the 16 draft. And I've talked to people, you know, like who are in the organization or who have left or whatever. And it was like, who was in charge? And, and in some years it was like unclear who was in charge like it was kind of like a hodgepodge like they were taking it was almost like they're taking turns making decisions or something like remember that 2015 draft and you know yeah. dubis was trading back but hunter was ostensibly in charge of the picks but was he if the picks were getting traded before he made the i don't know there was just and again that, that's like ancient history but that's, it matters now that's when the drafts like if you screw up a draft five or six years ago you don't you don't have the the players banked and no which means like you you need to go under free agency and you feel compelled to sign some of the guys that they sign and then you trade you a bunch of future picks to bring people in and then yeah you sit well, yourself and even back. like you can you mentioned the the babcock decision even that was not handled very well like it if they were going to fire mike babcock it should have been after that season as opposed to 20 what was it 23 games into the next season which kind of screwed yeah. up that season and like and 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 it was unclear TBD, it was unclear TBD on it Sheldon Keefe right like T, like there's been a lot of good but I don't know that you can say definitively that he's done a better job than than Mike Babcock did or would have done it still remains unclear whether Shanahan you know blocked Dubis like I can't imagine Dubis wanted to bring Babcock back that year can't imagine. Remember, he like let him left him twisting in the wind, and like it was so. I d- asked it, him that on the record, and he refused or declined to answer. Is the better way to put it. It was it was so dysfunctional what happened that year after that 2019 loss to Boston. It was just it was, and like I, that's not really on your like second year GM who's 34 years old or whatever. It's not. No, and I mean, they they hired him or they replaced him with a coach who had never coached in the NHL, period. And we have seen a lot of good things from Sheldon Keefe in his... Well, I think if you do that, Jonas, you have to be prepared. There's going to be some growing pains, so... And there have been growing pains. Like, this is a team trying to win a cup. Like, I don't... Can you afford growing pains? I don't know. From the GM and the coach. Yeah, the GM too. And and, and the president and... It'll be interesting. I, I wonder if they try and change the mix in the front office and give Kyle Dubas someone how should I put this? If they bring in someone with a lot of experience to kind of change the mix there, I, I imagine the coaching staff will change and that Sheldon, you know, there was a lot of talk last off season about getting someone with a lot of experience in to coach with Sheldon Keefe. And there, that's where the Bruce Brudeau conversations were. And they ended up not doing that. No, they did. They brought in Paul McClain. 
Okay. Someone like more high profile and like who's had a lot of success and. Well, and, and I, I recall there was uncertainty. I believe you wrote this at the Paul time. Paul McLean, they had Haxtell. sitting up in the bot. Like he wasn't even on the bench. Yeah, but like he's in all the meetings and everything like that. He's not traveling, but he's in there. But like, I mean, someone I with some writing, really significant. He has significant coaching experience, man. No, no, I don't know no, no, what, no, no. what like else you some want. Like some like heft to them. Some like some status, stature. If 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 they could find, you know, like Bruce Boudreaux is a, on a different. What's the difference between Bruce Boudreaux and Paul McLean? Bruce Boudreaux coached a lot of, you know, he coached a bunch of 110 point teams. And I mean, Paul McLean was on like the staff, I think, of all you those know, One of the differences, Jonas, were, is that. Bruce Boudreaux knows how to run a good power play. Well, and, and the question of whether Manny Malholcho will be back is an interesting one. I'm The question of whether Dave Haxtell will be back is an interesting one. Like maybe they changed. That's one thing teams often do is change the assistant coaches. And in this case, it might be warranted based on the way things went. Yeah, people were surprised that Haxtell was back this year. Let, let's talk a little bit about Sheldon Keefe and, and some of the things that, that didn't go right. Um. What comes to mind first for you? He seemed very reluctant to change. It, it, it seemed like it took... A Which is a little ironic, I would think. He believed so strongly in kind of like the lines and the and the, and the system and what he was doing that it was going to work, that he seemed to stick with it. The best the Leafs looked in the last three games of the series, I want to say it was the end of game six, right? Where they came back and he shuffled the lines and Spezza was up on the second line with Nylander and Kerfoot, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they really had a huge push. And Spezza scores, Brody gets the goal, they have some momentum, they played really well in overtime and it was just, you know, Montreal got one shot. That Well, and then they changed the, those lines in overtime. Yeah, it's so like- in overtime, so they, they play really, really well, they get the tying goal, they got a lot of momentum and then it's right back to what wasn't working for two games, almost two full games. And then in, in game seven, I was like, I wonder what they're going to switch up and they it, they went right back to everything again that they did... I don't know. Well, and they didn't you you were pointing this out while the game was happening. Like we we kept waiting for something to change because it was very clear after half the game that that top line just didn't have it and that you needed to do something. But like to I was saying too during the game, they like Marner and Matthews had played every single shift of ever of, of the season together the whole year. Yeah, to be fair, we gave Sheldon Cleef plenty of credit for that decision. Um it it, it it's tougher when you don't have John Tavares, right? Like, well, yeah, well, because you know where Marner are you can play. You know Marner can play with Tavares, right? You don't know like what's Marner's going to be centered by Kerfoot. Kerfoot, right? Exactly, and that gets back to the roster. But they sh- they probably should have looked at some of the- they probably should have had some different looks at- <laughs> during the season at some point. Like, I don't know, man. Like, this is where we get into Jonas, where we're like kind of like. It's very, very hindsight driven, some of the stuff. Cause like, yeah, but so some of it is not hindsight driven, James. Like, so the Rasmus Sandin situation is not hindsight driven. No, 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 driven. but like the Marner Matthews stuff is like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, I agree. That's why I'm saying like we gave him plenty of credit. No, we didn't have any problem with that during the season. But the Rasmus Sandin thing, I think, is, is worthy of some discussion. Like, so he has the situation, what was a game one where, he struggles, couple goals against, both goals against, actually. Keith comes back with him, which a lot of coaches wouldn't have played him in the first place. Like, he he didn't have half a season of NHL experience. He'd played nine games during the regular season. He comes back with him. He scores a big goal. Then he plays him again. Then he takes him out for some reason to, to get Travis Dermott some time, which felt like looking ahead. Um, then he puts him back in. Sandine has an 
really tough game on the ice for two goals against, makes a couple bad turnovers, plays six minutes, then he comes out. So like that kind of stuff, the power play is something we've been harping on for a while. It took until game seven of the first round for them to put William Nylander in Mitch Marner's spot. And it seemed to work. I don't know why it, it took as long as it did. Like it, it was clear that look. Yeah, on the power play, it was clear for a long time. Well, they it had wasn't that one working. great chance, right, where it went over to Nealander, across to Nealander, and, and Price made an amazing save. Yeah, and Nealander also set up Matthews, uh, was playing the bumper spot. Matthews had this great one-time look. It just took too long for that stuff to happen. Like, they kept... Well, didn't they go to and, that and, with, like, wasn't there only, like, 12 minutes left in the game or something like that? Yeah. Well, and and the other thing is, like, there was, a, there was so much herky-jerkiness to their approach on the power play, like they would change something and they said, we're sticking to it. And then literally after one power play, they change it again and then they change it the next game. And then they'd go back to the loaded up unit and then they'd go into two balance. Like they couldn't really decide what they wanted to do with their power play and their power play cost them. Like in game six and seven, there were opportunities for their power play to come through for them and didn't happen. It seems like there's something wrong with the process if, the answer you come up with is Joe Thornton on the first power play unit when he's he's playing. Like I think that that game seven potentially is the last game that Joe Thornton ever plays in the NHL. I mean, it probably it probably is. He did not look like a player who could continue unless to he play. goes back to San Jose as like a fourth line guy or something. I don't I don't know. But They've tried that. <laughs> it sucks to say because Joe Thornton seems like an amazing guy. He's had an unbelievable career, but it's pretty brutal for a day in that way. All right, James, I always mention this before the, the pod bag um, to eat at your local restaurants and support your local businesses. And, and honestly, James, I wanted to shout out the frontline workers. We should have done this like many times before. They were at the game on Monday night. And I was just like, man, you know, like when I got vaccinated, all I could think of was how much um, gratitude I felt for the people there working. Like that is a fucking hustle and hard. Like this year has been hard enough for everyone. Imagine like being in in all of that every day for however long this has gone on like that they deserve so much of our respect and gratitude so my mother's not a doctor or a nurse but she worked at a hospital my whole that was that was her job my whole life so um and and she was she had cancer a couple of times so she spent a lot of time in the hospital so unfortunately i spent a lot of my childhood in in around the hospital and it's uh it's a different breed of person that um you know, there, my my mother was friends with lots of doctors and nurses, and it's it, it takes a special person to do those those jobs, especially in times of crisis, which is what we've been living in. So, yes. it, it was pretty. I don't know what it looked like on TV because obviously we were in the building, but you know, you and I could really see really well some of the sections of the fans, and you could tell it was emotional for for some of the people that were there. Um, that they 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 felt gratitude that they had been thanked in this way, and. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's too bad that, I mean, the game was so crappy, but, you know, I, I, it meant, I think it meant a lot to those people and it, and it kind of, um, you know, I was right there when the first people started coming in, the first fans, and even for the staff that were working, like they had to bring in more staff to, to, you know, security guards and concession people and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was, it was a big moment for them too, you know, that when I was there and the first people were coming in, one of the security guards sort of you know, had a big voice and said, you know, for the first time and whatever, you know, there's fans back at Scotiabank Arena and it was, and you could just tell there was a lot of emotion. So it was, it was pretty interesting. 
Agreed. And and I got to say, to bring it back to like local businesses, it's I'm so happy to see but patios potentially opening again. I am going all in on pizza tonight, James. Getting some Batondos, my favorite oh, pizza place in the city. I ate a lot of pizza in the press box last night. I don't think I need it again tonight. <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the pod bag. I'm sure there are some good questions in there. Okay. Homebody wants to know, seriously, is there some bad mojo or something that happened throughout the years that keeps making them come out flat? 0 for 7 with this core is pretty unacceptable. I mean, it, it feels it's it's just like in their heads now. It's just we've said this for years too. I mean, it was in the heads of of those old uh, Carlisle teams too, right? Like when they were collapsing, and even Ron Wilson, and but those weren't very good teams. But it just seemed like they would snowball and they couldn't pull out of it. And now this team's doing it too, and it's like none of the players are the same. Here's what's difficult about that, James. I find is up until this year and last they really weren't like better than any of those teams. Like they really, they weren't better than Washington there. They weren't better than either of those Boston teams. And and those games went to those series went to game sevens. There was the cadre situation. Their, their best guys were still young. Like I, I, I don't know how much I can like yeah. ding them up for that, but these last two, you can ding them up. These last two are not good. Yep. They should. Granted, the regular season was not good last year, and they had this long pause. They they have to beat Columbus, and they have to beat Montreal. They're better. The only thing I would say yeah. add to that is that the Boston series, like it was right there for them to you yep. know like like they were up three two in the series, and and the yep. way they played that game seven was was really kind of pathetic too, right? So, but I agree with you. I mean, Boston was the better team, and and all of those things, and it's it's really been you know, the Columbus series and, and this series where they just have failed to step up when they needed to. Well, and James, like the margins are really small. Like that that first goal that goes in on Jack Campbell, that can't go in in a game seven. And that's that's very um, reminiscent of, yeah, of some of the, the goals. Team, his that, team couldn't score though. Like he can let in one bad goal. N- not, in, not in that game, man. Like they needed to get the first goal. I and if he blame, makes that save. I can't blame Jack Campbell given how well he played. He played all series. He was one of their, he was one of their best players. I'm saying he had a great series. Well, bail the, he needs, bail the guy out for one bad goal then in the series. Yeah, but, but here's the thing. Like in a game like that, you could feel that they're playing they, the 18th best team in the league. In a game like that, you could feel that they, they, couldn't give up the first goal. Like they were too fragile. And that's on that like that's as much on them as it is on anyone. But that's that puck needs to be stopped. It just does. And who knows what happens if he makes that save, is all I'm saying. This is a good segue to our next question. Muller Cleese asks, is it safe to presume we've seen the last of Freddie? Yes, it is safe to presume that. Uh if so, what would be a good path forward and goal? Uh Campbell is number one with a clear backup, one A B. I mean I think you try and get the you can answer this if you want, Jonas. I, I think you try and get the best second goalie that you can, and and hopefully it's someone who you feel comfortable splitting starts with, and that can win you a lot of games. Uh, but you know, Jack Campbell played well enough that I think that he, at, at minimum he's your your tandem guy. I would try to get someone like who could potentially be the starter. Now, like one of the names that there's not a lot of names out there. Like there's not a lot of guys out there. I mean, just just Chris Dreger make you feel enough comfort like he hasn't done it for very long I he think had a pretty good going, year in florida I think he's going to seattle is what i've been what i've been hearing so okay well so that then 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 you're getting into like 
our old favorites, James Reimer, Jonathan Bernier, they could also trade for someone. Like they could, I mean, they, they didn't want to in the past. They could decide to trade for Darcy Kemper or someone like that. What about get Darcy Kemper and have Arizona retain half the salary, and then you got then you got him for a sure for a, maybe get some some other pieces in that trade. I don't know. Return of Phil is that what you're thinking? It definitely, he had a great year. How many years does that contract have left on it? A couple more. I believe it's only one more season. Yeah, because wow. I was looking at the Leafs cap situation for next year, and uh, there's they've still got that retention of Kessel for one more year. Man, do you think he just retires after that? Like, do you think it's just over for him? I don't know. That guy, that guy's, you know, his natural ability is unbelievable. So, he did have a pretty good finish to the season. I, so. He could probably be a fourth line guy and and on the power 20 play. Twenty goals, forty three points. I'm sure he likes six games. I mean, I, I haven't Phil and I haven't kept in touch. He he wasn't a big fan. What? He wasn't a big fan of me by the end of the. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> I think I've told this story before. He didn't like one of my puns one time and <laughs> didn't, it didn't go over very well. So Nobody likes your puns. Well, well that's not <laughs> I'm true. I'm just kidding. Some people do. Lots of people do. Uh, the crickets like them. The crickets love them. Uh, Mother Cleese has some other questions that are pretty good. He, he asks, uh, the two most likely expansion targets are Kerfoot and Dermott. They both played pretty well in the playoffs. Does that affect what they do in the expansion draft? I mean, I think that I haven't looked at it close enough to – to think if about if they should change what they do in the expansion draft. Do you have any thoughts on that? I know you're going to have a story on that probably later today, right? Mm, not on the expansion draft. Well, that's that going to be, be one, of the, in, one of the things you mentioned. That will be in there. Yeah, I mean, they, they could decide to go in different directions. Like some of this will depend on Zach Hyman. Do they sign him before? Do they let him get to free agency? What do they do with Justin Hall? Like, do they decide we'll expose Justin Hall? and protect someone else like Travis Terman. They could go in a lot of different directions, right? Like maybe it, it kind of feels like Kerfoot might be the guy they end up losing. Like he had a, he was one of their three or four best players in that series. He, he finished second on the team in scoring remarkably. Some interesting proposals in here where people are talking about, you know, the expansion draft, there might be teams that are going to lose guys that they don't want to lose and they might be willing to trade them and they might open up some options for the Leafs. So maybe the expansion is part of, Fuzzbit says, can we talk about the risk of going all in at the deadline? This draft is going to be brutal. I mean, I, we're not good. I'm not sure they went all in. I'm they, not sure. I, I don't like that perception. They traded six picks. Yeah, but like a lot of those picks are like fourth round picks. Like, I don't know. That's not all in to me. All in to me would have been trading a first and trading like Sandine or trading Robertson. I don't think it's all in. Was it a good trade? No, it did not work out. Six picks is a lot for one deadline, especially with a bunch of guys that contributed zero. Well, and that was that was part of the argument people made about trading for Felino is like it you got all this insurance with all those other guys. I felt at the time I'd rather just have Hall. I'd rather just have Taylor Hall and gamble on the other stuff. How will you feel about it if Taylor Hall is lifting the Stanley Cup in another five weeks? Will that change your opinion? Me? I'm just joking. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just being stupid. Okay. Um, Sundin's flow says, is there any precedent for changing GMs and leadership every few years and having it pay off? I kind of want Dubas to stay, create some stability. Feels yes. like if we change direction every other season, it's a bad path. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I think having some sort of continuity, that's part of what 
I w- worry about and, and wrote about after game seven is that it seemed like they started trying to go in a pretty dramatically different direction and doing, trying to do that every off season is, it feels like a, a bad idea. Well, and go across the league. I mean, go across Canada. How many teams have what you would call competent management? I don't think it's very many. Like th- you can criticize some of what they've done, but they are a more than competent front office. Like, they don't really do anything that you're like, man, that was really, what were they thinking? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, Calgary, their front office is but again, facing a lot of heat. That, Vancouver, that, Montreal. That brings me back to though this idea of setting the bar too low. That, like, Do you want to settle for being a 7 out of 10 organization or do you want to try and get to where the best teams in the league are? And before the, before these playoffs, I probably would have said eight out of ten. So they, there was they, a time not that long ago where Colorado was considered the laughing stock of the league. Four years ago, may, right? They had maybe the worst season in NHL history, or People one should, of the worst. I went back last night because it's mentioned in my story that Dubas almost went to Colorado. They were in last place. Yeah, and Joe Sakic was thought of as this inept executive. Now he's going to win GM of the year every year. And, you know, part of that was Joe Sackick pivoted. He brought in some smart people and they changed their philosophy and it it completely changed that that organization. Yeah, they stopped relying on these big galoof defensemen and got all these younger st- little studs. I guess Kale McCarr is not little, but Sam Gerrard certainly big. is. He's not big. Sam Gerard is so small. I wrote a story about him a couple of years ago, and I'm I'm six five. I'm standing next to him in the dress room, and he's saying he's he's listed at one sixty. It's crazy. I think he told me he was one seventy, but I mean, who do you think would win in a fight, Sam Gerard or Jared Spurgeon? <laughs> I w- I wouldn't bet against Spurgeon, man. That guy looks he's small, but he looks tough. He is tough. You've tried to fight him a few times. I, I took him out, but it was a, it was a good fight. How can the team stock with cheap but skilled depth with only five draft picks over the next two seasons? I mean, the the reality. This is Matt Pisco asks, like those picks. Like you're like you traded your fourth round pick in 2021. That pick's not going to help you for like six years. Like you know, no. the, the Leafs are lacking depth right now because of bad fourth round picks they made four or five years ago. Well, and they need some of these picks like that they've made in more recent years and some of the, and maybe the earlier Dubas drafts to like start hitting. They do, they just do, right? Like you can't, at some point somebody's got to cu- start coming through and like, you've got to be able to look at the Marlies and say, that guy's going to be an NHL or that guy's going to be an NHL. That's a question. I don't know. I mean, it, like, I mean, 2017 looks like they may get nothing. Uh, I like it rough asks. Give us some good news, James. Anything will do. All right. Here's this is what's good news for me and my family is I have a lot of extra time now at night uh, that I did not have on all the nights the Leafs were playing. Um, my my son who's in kindergarten, I started. I was asking him before every game who was going to win, and he started picking Montreal every single time because he realized if the Leafs weren't playing anymore, that all of a sudden Daddy would be around. So. <laughs> you know, it, for for everyone, I know it's, I know it's it's been a hard year for everybody. Like we said already in the show, and like try and like enjoy, you know, why, maybe watch some of the other games if you feel like it. But if not, like find some things to do with with your time at night. I mean, maybe like Jonah said, you will be able to go to patio soon, and we'll be able to see family more. And um, the weather is getting good. Although I I saw it's, it's going to be like thirty five degrees or something later this week. So, Woo. <laughs> or feel like thirty five degrees. 
Um, but yeah, you know, I, the summers for, for Jonas and I are really kind of where we get our souls back a little bit because we're not, it, it, it's a lot, you know, working till one or two in the morning, every second night for months on end. And, um, that's what I would say to people is, is try and enjoy your nights and, and find some things that you enjoy doing and, you know, take your significant other out for a glass of wine on, on, on the back porch or whatever. And, you know, order some takeout. That's, those are the good things in life, right? So, you know, we live in Canada. We're only going to get three months of good weather. Let's enjoy them. All right, James, I think we got time for one more question. Oh my goodness. Jonas, there are literally like 150 today. Wow. Uh, maybe, maybe we should do come back at some point. Well, we could always soon and just do an all pod bag episode. Yeah, we can do another, I can look through these more later and we can answer some of these. Um, uh, dynasty says, uh, I usually know what I want them to change after the season. I wanted Babcock gone. I didn't like the right side of the defense for many years. I have no idea where they should go from here. I mean, that's, I don't know that the organization knows where they want to go from here. Like they, how could they, they were not, just happened. yeah, they were not thinking this was going to happen. Like they, they were not contemplating what, what the step was. So, you know, it's Jonas and I are kind of guessing what's coming next because they didn't know and they, they're not telling us and they're not talking about it. So it's going to be a very, I know maybe fans aren't interested. It's going to be for us like to analyze this. It's going to be fascinating what they do here and how they try and change this. Yeah. How deep do the cuts go? Uh, Matt Pratt says, does the playoff officiating standard affect teams like the Leafs more than teams like the Bruins? Yeah. I'm yeah. More. Come on, James. What? You don't think it, you don't think it affects teams like the Leafs more than the Bruins? Why would it be more than the Bruins? Because the Bruins are better at playing in an environment where there's few penalties called. Mm. Their, their system. What does that mean? Their, their system and their players are better at fighting through the kind of checking no holds barred games that the playoffs become. The Leafs are not very good in that environment. Yeah, I can't dispute that. <laughs> I'm glad I got, I'm glad I was able to explain yeah, that, that and, quick. And, you, you... and win you over. All right, we gotta we gotta we gotta get out of here, James. Well, I I believe we'll be back again later this week to look into some of what management Kyle Dubis, Brendan Shanahan, Sheldon Keefe, the players, what they say in their end of season availability. So stay tuned to that. We appreciate everyone listening. We hope you're staying safe. And if you haven't signed up to the Athletic, give it a try. Theathletic.com slash Leaf Report. James, any parting thoughts? No, just thanks to everyone for listening and supporting the show. It was a record year for us. Um, we hope we can get back to where we can do live shows again at some point because those were always a lot of fun. And, um, you know, everyone that subscribed, I know, uh, stick with us because, um, you know, if, if, if the team, you know, continues to struggle and make mistakes, we're going to do our best to kind of as I said, be a little bit more skeptical and hold them to account. So, and you know, you folks subscribing help keep uh, an independent outlet like the athletic successful and, and vibrant the way that it is. So thank you for that. Well said, James, we will talk later this week.